0: The presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord is here. That's the primary thing that separates us from the country club, the rotary club. The presence of the Lord is here. amen we are carriers of the presence of God we are stewards of the presence of God if we're not careful we can program God's presence right out of church If we're not careful, we can miss the visitation of God's presence. If we're not careful, we can operate on our own muster, our own intellect, our own capabilities. And we need to make sure that that doesn't happen. Amen? We need the presence Of the Lord. You know what, church? Something happens when we gather together corporately. I have great times in my office with the Lord, I have great times in my car with the Lord, I have great times at home with the Lord. But there are some things that I cannot experience with God, I cannot encounter unless I gather together with the people of God. Sometimes it's in small groups. Sometimes it's in large groups. Jesus said, when two or three gather in my name, I am there in their midst. Amen? Don't get it twisted. We are a spirit filled church. Amen. Amen. The church of Jesus Christ is a spirit filled church. Amen. We are carriers of his presence. I'm going to throw a wrench into this whole thing. I want to go ahead and just dismiss our kids. We'll take care of announcements in a minute. I want to get into the Word of God. I'm talking about the Spirit of God this morning, the presence of God, the communion of the Spirit of God. We're going to talk about the fellowship of the Spirit of God. We're going to take communion together at the end of this service. I want to ask our worship team, if you guys could come back. I want to sing that song, Your Presence is Heaven to Me, during our communion time. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. We're going to talk this morning about the fellowship of the Spirit. You know what I believe people are hungry for? They're hungry for the presence of God, an encounter, a true encounter, not something that's counterfeit, that's contrived, that's worked up, but a genuine encounter with God. As I talk to pastors across the nation, I hear reports from various churches They're having difficulty getting people back to church. It's easy to have church in bed on Sunday morning. It's comfortable in your pajamas, it's comfortable with your cup of coffee. And one thing you realize, at least I did during this year of COVID craziness is that there's all kinds of good preaching out there on the internet. You can find great messages on any subject and any topic that you want to delve into. There's all kinds of information, right? And so giving people information isn't going to get them back. Good preaching is not going to get them back because they can hear that sitting on their couch or laying in their bed. What's going to get them back? The presence of God. The fellowship of the Spirit. Amen. Fellowshiping with the people of God. You can't do that at home. You, you can't have an iron sharpening iron experience laying by yourself in your pajamas with your cup of coffee on your Table next to your bedstand, you can't ex- experience those things. There are some things you just can't get on your own. The Bible says He's fitly framed us together. The Bible says He's taken the solitary and set us into the family. Amen? We can't do life alone. The Bible says of the early church, Acts chapter 2, it says they devoted themselves to one another. Right? We, we have to be devoted one to another. And we have to encounter together the presence of God. Amen? So let's look at this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. For there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. How, how many bodies are there? Is it the Baptist body? Or the Pentecostal body? Or the Presbyterian body? Does, do, they, does, does, uh, do the Methodists have the corner on the truth? There is only one body. There are how many spirits? One spirit. How many callings? There's only one. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. You've got a gift. Look at your neighbor and tell him you've got a gift. Tell him you've got something I don't have. Murda's gift is different than my gift. Scott's gift is different than my gift. Kenny's gift is different than my gift. I want you to understand this. The Holy Spirit lives in you. If you are a believer, if you name the name of Jesus, if you have been born again, the Spirit of God resides in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Amen? Amen. The Bible says we can't say that Jesus is Lord but by the Spirit of God. So when we are saved the moment of salvation, something on the inside of us sparks. It's a new birth. Something of the Spirit is born on the inside of us, right? So we have the Spirit. There's only one baptism, but there are many fillings. We're going to see some of this. I don't know how how far we'll get today. I'm going to be mindful of the time. I'm going to respect our time. We've got communion. We also have a A new friends gathering after the service. So if you're new to our church, I want to meet with you. I want to spend some time getting to know you. But I want to work through some scriptures here. And we're going to come to a better understanding of what it means to be people of the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's look at Romans chapter 8. I think Dr. Brasfield did a phenomenal job last week. I believed what he preached for a long time. The ideas, the concepts, the doctrines that he taught are doctrines that I grew up on. We talk about co-crucifixion, the fact that we were crucified with Christ, that when Jesus went to the cross, I died with him, right? Paul said, I've been crucified. Galatians chapter two, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives within me. Right? And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Romans chapter, he he preached Romans chapter 6 to us, right? Should should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How should we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Do you not know that you have been crucified with Christ? Right? That you have been buried with him in baptism and we have been resurrected. That's the picture of baptism. And, and, And he was right. He he was right in saying that Romans 6 is not necessarily talking about water baptism. It's talking about our baptism into Christ. And water baptism is a picture of what spiritually has already happened. Someone said that baptism is an outward expression of an inward experience. It's a picture we stand before the world when we were baptized in water. And I think it's important for all of us as believers. Jesus said, I'm baptized that I can fulfill all righteousness, So if Jesus did it to fulfill righteousness, I think we should do it to fulfill righteousness. But when we do that, it is a picture to the world. I love public baptisms. We used to baptize. When I pastored in Texas, we'd go down to the river, the San Marcos River, and we would baptize people there. There would be tubers. There was a bar, uh, a pub up on the hill. Uh, There where we baptized. there'd be people out on the deck with their beer in hand and a taco in the other hand or brisket. Uh, meal, they're sitting there on, on the those picnic tables, they were watching us, there would be drunk tubers all around us, and we would be dunking newborn believers in the waters. Public, I, I love public baptisms, amen. And it's amazing because people would stop whatever they were doing and they would rejoice every time we baptized someone. It's, it's a declaration to the world that I that we are identifying with Jesus, right? So baptism is that. Dr. Brasfield preached about that. He preached Romans 6 to us, that we have been crucified with Christ. And because of that, we are all, not because of our works, not because of our righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Jesus and the, and the, the work that he did at Calvary, we are all qualified, if we put our faith in him, to be recipients of God's Spirit. Amen. I think he taught that masterfully and beautifully. He he really brought a lot of clarity even to me. I've I've heard those things. I've learned those things. I've known those things. But he just painted such a clear, clear picture for us. But Romans chapter 8 talks so much about life in the Spirit. Beginning in verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, In terms that we can understand, this is what it would say. There is no lawsuit against those who are in Christ. There are no charges for those who are in Jesus. It really fits in there with what Dr. Brassfield was preaching. Right? The charges have been met the penalty for all of our sin all of our wickedness has been paid by jesus his blood and his death on that cross that's what it means when it says that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus if you are in christ if your life is hidden in him then there is no accusation against you the writer in Galatians, Paul said this, he said he, that, that, that the writing of ordinances, the charges, the lawsuit against you, Jesus took it and he nailed it to the cross, taking it out of the way. Amen. amen. That is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has dealt with the penalty and the consequences of our sin. The, the one who was righteous became sin for us. He took our sin upon himself, amen, and died for us. And as Dr. Brassfield said, he died as us. Such a powerful truth there. And it shows how this all ties back together. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, a lot of people think that just the sins went away, it wasn't that our sins disappeared. And the consequences just vanished. No. All of the consequences were put for our sin, all of the penalty for our sin, they were put on Jesus, right? They were put on Jesus. Where are we at? I've lost my place. Verse 5, thank you. That's awesome. We need to understand this. Not only has the consequence of our sin been dealt with, but we have also received through the Spirit the power to overcome our sin. That means we don't have to live as slaves to sin. We don't have to be bound in the bondage of sin. We don't have to be subject to sin if we will live life to the Spirit. Now, if we stay in our mind, if we live from a place of carnality, sin can dominate us. But if we live to the Spirit of God, we can live as free. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if we are children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. That's just powerful, powerful, amen? We are Spirit-filled believers as children of God, the Spirit of God dwells in us. There are two dangerous things for us. As stewards, we need to make sure it don't happen. Number one, we need to make sure that the fire doesn't go out. Paul, he admonished Timothy. He said, stir up the gift that is on the inside of you by the laying on of hands. There's a responsibility for us to make sure that this fire doesn't go out. There's also a responsibility that we have that we don't offer strange fire. Super spiritual things, things that are contrived out of our own flesh, things of human initiative. We need to make sure that if we're calling something spiritual, that it is born of the spirit and not born of the will of man. I want to say this, there is nothing more off-putting, more uh, disgusting, nothing more vile than something that is super spiritual. Pushing people over. Saying that we're, saying that thus says the Lord when it didn't come from the Lord, but it's coming out of our own flesh. Let's, let's be honest. I asked this question, I think, three weeks ago. How many, of you, how many of us have ever seen abuse of the spiritual gifts? I think all of us have. There's nothing more off-putting. There's nothing more dangerous. But there's nothing more beautiful there's nothing more powerful than the true move of the Spirit of God when the gifts are really operating, as, and they're coming from the Spirit and not from the will of man. There's nothing more powerful. There's nothing, there's nothing more beautiful than experiencing the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be stewards. And so that's what we've been, we've been talking about this. I'm going to kind of get back into this. We looked three weeks ago today. I taught on how the gifts operate in the body we're going to delve a little bit more into that today we talked about three things that it needs to be done decently in an order this is a review if you want to get the whole message go back three weeks ago into our archives and you'll find this but it should be decent in order it needs to be rooted in love we talked about that and it needs to be moored in devotion It needs to be moored in or anchored in devotion. So those three things we talked about three weeks ago. I wanna I wanna get into some some more stuff here, okay? Number one, spiritual gifts are given to us to strengthen others. They're not always or only for our benefit, spiritual gifts are for others. They're to help others. They are to strengthen others. First Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven says, the spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. They're given to us so that we can help each other. That's the New Living Translation. Another translation says, they're given for the profit of all. Another translation said, they are for the common good, right? In other words, they are for the benefit of the body. They are to strengthen and edify, right? As going back to Ephesians 4, it says each of us has been given a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And that is for the benefit of his body. Okay? So we talked about how this, when we, when we operate in the gifts of the Spirit, it should be done decently in order. It needs to be rooted in love. In love, it needs to be moored in devotion. Today, I want to say this, that it needs, whenever we, Use our spiritual gifts. It always should be for the edification of others. Three, three different words, There's, and I, I'm not going to get deep into this. I, I'll probably do it possibly next week. But edification, encouragement, and exhortation. These are words that the Scripture uses when it talks about the gifts of the Spirit and how they build the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, One prophesies, and he strengthens others, encourages them, and he comforts them. There are three different words. There are three different Greek words. The word for strengthen is oikotome. We, we've heard that before. It, means, it literally means to build as a family, right? To, to build generations, to build up. That's the first word. The next word is periclesis, which is encourages here in this New Living Translation. It's it's a calling, a pleading, or an exhortation, a persuasive discourse or address. In other words, we can use our, our spiritual gifts to say in, in the Spanish, in, in, in Spanish, they say it this way: Animo Hermano. See? Si. Si? Comprende? Animo hermano. In other words, come on, we can we can we're gonna make it that we we can get we can get through this. God's with us, God's for us. Right, it's this persuasive statement or speech. We, we, when we use our gift, it it, it encourages people. It persuades people. Come on, you can make it, right? Sometimes it's a word of wisdom. Sometimes it's a word of knowledge. Sometimes it's a prophecy that's given. But it is a word of encouragement that says, "You know what? You may be going through a Paul. You know, right? We we prophesy like this today, right? You're going to get a beautiful wife, a better car, and a bigger house." I, I've never seen a prophecy like that in Scripture. Paul received a prophetic word, book of Acts. I can't remember the exact chapter, but, but it, just right off the top of my head here. He received this, this, this prophetic word, and, it, and he says, I don't, I, I'm going to Rome. I don't know uh, what, what to expect there other than that the Spirit says, I'm going to be beaten and suffer hardships, but he's going to be with me. Nothing about a pretty girl, pretty wife, big car, or a big house. Hardships are gonna be there when you get there. But I am going to be with you. The Holy Spirit brought encouragement to him, despite the hardships, despite the trial, right? That, that's what our gifts do. They 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 edify, they encourage, they they exhort. Third word in this passage in the English, the New Living Translation, is the word comfort there. And I'm looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. The word comfort there, it's paramuthia. It's a consultation, a calming, a consoling, or a comfort. So this is what the Holy Spirit does for us. It edifies us, it encourages us, and it exhorts us. We'll dig deeper into that. In a soon coming message, look, I'm going to look at the same verse, First Corinthians chapter fourteen, verse three, in the Amplified version. It says, "But on the other hand, the one who prophesies, who interprets the divine will and purpose in inspired preaching and teaching, speaks to men for their upbuilding, constructive spiritual progress, encouragement, and consolation." So can you see that? That our spiritual gifts are for building up. They are for edifying people. They are for encouraging people. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verse 31 says, For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. Prophecy is for our learning and for our encouragement. Romans chapter one, Paul greeting these Roman believers, he says, For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. You see that? He said, "I'm I'm gonna bring my spiritual gifts so that you it will help you to grow strong in the Lord. And when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith. But I also want to be encouraged by yours. That's what happens when we get together. When we come to church, we encourage one another. Hopefully, my preaching encourages you. Hopefully, you don't leave feeling condemned and beat down. I want to convict you some. I want to provoke you, but I want to encourage you in the things of the Lord. Amen? The Bible says we're to provoke one another to love and good works. Hopefully on Sunday morning, whether it's me or Pastor Bill or guest speaker or whoever's here, hopefully it it encourages you and builds you up and provokes you, right? But I'll tell you this, every time I come to church, I get encouraged myself. You guys encourage me. Every once in a while, some of y'all will discourage me. (laughs) Let's be honest. No, but seriously, when I come to church, I leave encouraged That's the way it should be. Paul says, I'm encouraged. You know, Paul, Paul had a home church. Did you know that? Paul's home church was the church of Antioch. He went on his missionary. He was sent by the church of Antioch, Paul and Barnabas, sent on those missionary journeys, and then they formed other teams. They, but they were sent out of Antioch, and they would come back to Antioch. We see this several times in the book of Acts. There are three major missionary journeys that Paul went on. He was sent out of Antioch. Each time he would return to Antioch, and the Bible says that when he would return, he would be encouraged, his team would be encouraged, and the church would be encouraged by the stories that Paul brought. That's what should happen when we come together as a church. Our spiritual gifts ought to encourage. They ought to build up. They ought to bring strength to the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts are given to us to strengthen others. Amen? Amen. Next thing I want to say is this, that that we can almost view our spiritual gifts as tools. They're, They're tools that God has given us to build, to do the work of the kingdom. Reinhard Bonnke said this. He said, The gifts of the Spirit are not medals of honor. They are tools for a job. I think that's rightly spoken. We, we, I talked, I think this was either three or four weeks ago. I talked about the fact that our, our spiritual gifts are not signs of maturity. They are actually indicators that we are immature. They are. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says. What's mature is what we're going to be in heaven. When we see him face to face and we are as he is, then we will be matured and complete. But our need for the gifts indicate that we are lacking and that we are immature. You know what are indicators of our maturity? Spiritual fruit. Fruit indicates maturity, that we are growing and that we are becoming more like Jesus. Patience kindness, right, love. These things, the, the gifts of the Spirit, they indicate that we are maturing in our walk. But gifts indicate that we are still in need. They remind us, they're constant reminders that we are imperfect. We need a Savior. I, I cannot do the work of God. I, I, there, there's not one of you in this room that I could save. There's not one of you in this room that are sick that I can bring healing to. Talking about me. Now, the Spirit of God on the inside of me, he's mighty to save. The God that lives on the inside of me, if I depend on him, hey, there's healing. But in and of myself, I don't have it. I'm dependent upon the Lord. And so God gives us these gifts, healing, the gift of healing, the miracles, faith, tongues. See, in the Pentecostal circles, all we know about is the gift of tongues. We have hyper on one gift. You ever wonder what God thinks about what we do in church? <laughs> all of our hyper-focuses, all of our extremes, all of our little doctrines and things that we build. But there's, to one, given the gift of miracles. I'm getting ahead of myself. I need to just get to the text here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Verses 8 through 11 says, One person, the Spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same Spirit gives a message of special knowledge. The same Spirit gives great faith to another. And to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. He gives to one person the power to perform miracles. And to another, the ability to prophesy. He gives something to someone else or, I'm sorry, he gives someone else the, the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. And we need more people like that. <laughs> Still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages, while another is given the ability to interpret what, he, what is being said. It is the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone decides which gift each person should have. So these are gifts that we receive. They are tools that God gives to us for the work of ministry. And it's not for the fivefold ministers. It's not for the people who are on the platform week in and week out. It's not for professional ministers. Listen, if we get a professional minister mentality, we're in trouble. We are not professionals. I, th- I think it was Piper who wrote a book. We are not professionals, gentlemen, speaking to clergymen who had put themselves on pedestals. No, the gifts are in every single one of us. Amen. Is the Spirit of God residing on the inside of you? Is the Spirit of God residing on the inside? Some of y'all aren't sure. Is he or is he not? Amen. 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 Then the gifts of the Spirit are resident. Amen. Amen. That fruit is there. you got to let it come out. You've got to let it come out. That's what spiritual maturity is really all about. Spiritual maturity is the process of the inward planning becoming the outgrowth of your life. It's already been planted. If you've been born again, if you've identified with Christ on the cross, if you have been crucified with him and he resurrected in the newness of life, then those gifts are on the inside of you. The Holy Spirit resides on the inside of you. Our job from here on out is letting that thing come out and manifest Living life to the Spirit. No longer living as the old man. No longer living, as Dr. Breswell said, back to the old Adam. Living to the new. Amen? Amen. That's our goal. That's what we're striving for. We're pressing for the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's allowing the Holy Spirit to come out and manifest through our lives. Amen. Amen? Amen? Point number three. Spiritual gifts are given to be given away not to be hoarded they will rot if they hoard if they are hoarded why do we see so much stuff when it comes to spiritual activity that stinks because it's rotten because we don't know how to be vessels conduits of this glory that we have on the inside of us we don't know how to share it. We don't know how to give it away. You know what we, we do instead? We use it for our own glory. We're trying to use it for our platform instead of to graciously serve. Right. Gifts to be given away. Remember we talked about how they're not to be forced on people. They're gifts to be given, not things to be imposed on people. Right? We've got to be careful how we minister the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 4 says, let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special ability that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. We ought to especially desire to prophesy. All of us should desire to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. And you will be speaking by the power of the Spirit. But it will all be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. We need need to understand there's a clear differentiation here. Tongues. Edify us personally. Tongues are a strange phenomenon. And and let me just say this all of these spiritual gifts are supernatural, they're beyond human capacity, They're, they're beyond our human capabilities. They are supernatural. And so they are going always to be offensive to the flesh. It's a principle that my pastor growing up taught us. Taught taught me this as a minister, in fact. He said, "If, if the preaching of the word offends someone, woe be it unto them. But if you, in the way that you deliver the word of God, offend someone... Woe be it unto you. So there's a difference. The word of God will offend people. And there's nothing we can do about that. But if it's, it's, my, if it's my personality, if it's my approach, if it's whatever that offends people, woe be it unto me. Same thing with the gifts of the Spirit. They, 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 people don't get it. The carnal man cannot comprehend the things of God. That's what the Bible says. No unbeliever is going to be able to understand spiritual things. In fact, sometimes we as believers have a hard time understanding it. But let it not be our our circus sideshows, things that we attach to the Holy Spirit that's really born in us. Let's not let that be the thing that offends people. There's a difference. We'll We'll make no apologies for the operation of the Holy Spirit. But we need to be careful that we ourselves are being, as the young people say, extra. <laughs> Let's just let it be the Holy Spirit. Amen? So back to what I was saying. The, the, the tongues edify us. We need to understand this. We need to get this and comprehend this. Tongues edify us. But tongues in a corporate context can just be confusing. If they're not followed, I believe this, if we're going to give tongues in the corporate setting, we need, it needs to be followed with an interpretation. That's the, the model that we see in Scripture. And there would be so much clarity. If we would just get in our Bibles and read this stuff, it's in there. There wouldn't be confusion about it. We've got a manual. Read it. Read the manual. Don't be like this dumb dad who gets the bicycle out, puts it all together, realizes that this did not fit here, and I've got all these extra parts, and it doesn't work the way it was supposed to work. That's our Christmas morning experience. You're in and you're out. Why? Because dad refuses to read the manual. Christians, let's not refuse to read this manual. There's clear instruction about how this stuff works. Tongues edify us individually. Prophecy edifies the body. Right? He said we need to make a distinct sound. And don't get me wrong. It also says don't forbid to speak in tongues. No one is ever forbidden to speak in tongues here. But make sure that you are not offending your brother or an unbeliever or bringing, you can muddy, you need to understand that sometimes your tongues can just muddy the water in a certain situation. And there are beautiful times when we can, I, I stand there at the front row all the time and I pray in the spirit. But I'm making sure that I'm not gonna confuse anybody in the room. If I give tongues, I'm going to give an interpretation. That's one instance. There are also instances where I've seen entire, I've seen 100,000 people, 100,000 people speaking in tongues, and it sounded like heaven. That's powerful. You see what I'm saying? So when it's done decently and in order, it gives life. But we need to make sure that we're not doing it in a way that's out of order, strange fire, bringing confusion, that, that's muddying people's minds. It needs to be done well. And we've got to get rid of this idea that when the Spirit comes, we lose complete control of our, all of our faculties. You know that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I can control when I prophesy. I control when I speak in tongues. Don't get me wrong, there were times, there was, there was a time when I was a 20-something-year-old drunk, and the Holy Spirit knocked me, I, I was out of, out of control, laying on my back, I got up, I ran around the church, the, the Holy Spirit just messed me up. So don't get me wrong. But what I'm trying to say is that we do so many things as believers in the name of the Holy Spirit, and it's just bad behavior. It's an unsubjective spirit that's on the inside of us. That refuses to submit to authority, that refuses to do things decently and in an order. There's a difference. There's a difference. And we've got to learn that. And, and we're going to give grace. Listen, if you get it wrong sometimes in this church, we're not going to take you back to the chapel and crucify you. We're going to give you grace. If you're dry deadwood, we're not going to ostracize you and say he's not very spiritual we're going to give you grace. If you don't get this thing of the Holy Spirit yet, we're going to give you grace. If you're a a Holy Spirit super nut, hyper-spiritual, casting demons out of trees, we're going to give you grace. We need more grace. We need more grace. Amen? We need more grace. But we also got to balance that with honor and reverence. And, and, and I, I don't want to ever do anything. Sometimes we can do things in the name of the Holy Spirit that just quite simply grieves the Holy Spirit. And we've got to grow to the place. Read your Bible so that you grow to the place that you're wise enough to be able to discern the difference. Am I making sense this morning? Come on, help your pastor out. I feel like I'm struggling here. I, I want to show you one more thing in the Bible, and, and we're going to be done. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. There, there are three, and we're gonna we're gonna breeze through this really quick. Three three quick little pictures here for us out of Acts 19. Acts 19, verse 1. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, finding some disciples. And 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 it, it calls them believers specifically. It says they're believers. He says to them, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed?" See scriptures like this. I I believe there's there's one baptism. We are baptized into Christ, but there are many fillings. I I I believe that there are subsequent experiences of baptism that we can experience, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Amen. How many of you have received it more than once? How many of you, it's been a long time since you've received anything from the Holy Spirit? How many, do you say, be honest, it's been a long time since I've had a baptism of God's Spirit? You know what my favorite word for baptism is? There's a lot of, defi- a lot of definitions. In fact, there are four different Greek words for baptism. Now, I'm not gonna go through all those, but I'll give you, I'll give you my, my favorite. My favorite Word for baptism is to be pickled. <laughs> You're pickled in the spirit. You're pickled in Jesus. When you pickle a cucumber, it takes on the, the flavor of that, that vinegar and the dill and those spices that you put into that jar. They saturate that cucumber to its core. That's what it means to be baptized in the spirit. That, 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 the attributes, the life of Jesus saturates your very core you are pickled in Jesus that's what it means to be baptized and Paul Paul asked these guys have you have you been baptized since you believed how many of you know some folks that could use a good baptism their old flesh is just stinking up the place they need they need a fresh aroma they need to get pickled in Jesus amen we, we can have these experiences of infilling, of God getting away. And this is where I'm just now getting to the, the, the point, which, which is the fellowship of the Spirit. We need the fellowship of the Spirit. We need to be pickled in Jesus. Amen. If you don't spend time with the Lord as a believer, you're going to stink. Amen. You're going to start smelling like the flesh. If you're not praying, if you're not getting into the word, if you're not coming to church, if you're not fellowshipping with the saints of God, if you're not getting discipleship, if you're not receiving the things that are going to cause you to grow spiritually, you're going to eventually start stinking and it won't take long. When we're distant from the Lord, we begin to reek, our flesh begins to rise. We've got to live life to the Spirit, life after Jesus, the fellowship of the Spirit of God. Did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed?" So they said to him, "We'd have not heard that there, there was any such holy Spirit. He says to them, "Into what then were you baptized?" So they said then to John's baptism. And then Paul says, "John indeed baptized you with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him whom uh, would come after him, and that is on Christ." And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. These guys, the Bible calls them believers, it calls them disciples, but they hadn't received the Spirit of God. They hadn't been baptized. And so they received this infilling. It says when, when uh, let's see, moving on. And when he, he went into the synagogue, this is Paul. He went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, and the way was following Jesus before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples' reasoning daily in the school of Tyranius. This is a, uh, um, a hall, a, a lecture hall, owned by a man named Tyranius. He 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 tried for three months preaching Jesus in the synagogue, but was not received. Called evil, they they began to despise the way of following Christ, and so he what did he do? Shook the sand off, and he went to a lecture hall, basically a, a university, a room at a university, if you will. And he begins to, to, to reason and to preach the gospel of Jesus. And he stays here doing this for two years. Right? Where are we at? But, uh, but when, when some, let's see, and, and this continued for two years. So that all who dwelt in Asia, all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. They, they would estimate that in this two-year period, Paul preached the gospel to more than two million people. He left the synagogue and went to a lecture hall, Tyrannius's lecture hall. And he lectures there, he reasons there, he preaches the gospel of Jesus in a lecture hall and two million people. When we read the book of Ephesus, Paul is writing to these people from Rome in prison. He writes to the church of Ephesus and these are the people he's writing to, the ones that would be won in Tyrannus' lecture hall. Now God worked according, uh, uh, I'm sorry, God worked unusual miracles By the hands of Paul. This is the Holy Spirit working through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons were were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. And some of them, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, listen to this, they took it upon themselves. Just, Just highlight that. Get your highlighter out or underline that. They took it Upon themselves. Do not take the work of the kingdom upon yourself. If you're going to do the work of God, you've got to do it through the Spirit. They took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We, exorcists, I'm sorry, exercise you. By Jesus, whom Paul preaches. That'd be like me standing up here today. I'm, I'm preaching in the name of Jesus who Scott knows. Not Jesus that I know, but the Jesus that Scott knows. I'm going to declare this message. It lacks authority. Right? We're, we're, we're adjuring you to come out in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, who did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? Let me ask you a question. Do the devils know your name? If you're in Jesus, they'll know your name. They knew Paul, they knew Jesus, but they didn't have any idea who these exorcists were who are you? And then the man in whom the evil spirits was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus and fear fell on them. We we need this because of all of all of the nonsense that we do in the name of the Holy Spirit, all of the spiritual rigmarole and circus sideshows that we do in the name of jesus we need fear to come upon us so that we won't do things that are initiated of our own will that we won't take it upon ourselves but we will truly rely on the holy spirit if it's initiated by the holy spirit it's going to have power I know what it is. I can give you stories. I I could give you stories, and I'm out of time, but I could give you stories of me laying these hands on people and evil spirits coming out of them deliverance, salvation, etc. I can also give you stories where I couldn't even pray enough prayer to move a simple obstacle because of where I was at with the Lord. What's the point? The Fellowship of the Spirit. I want want to wrap this up. I want want you to show you what what happened. Despite the fact that these guys fell on their face, look what happens. Many who believed came confessing and telling their deeds. And also many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they continued up. uh, I'm going to have to get some readers, folks. I'm getting old. (laughs) Wow. I've had 2020 to this point in my life, and things are getting fuzzy. <laughs> they brought their books together and they burned them. I need to stand here in the light where I can see. They burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. In spite of the nonsense and chicanery of these guys, Who took it upon themselves, you know what happened? The Holy Spirit moved anyway. The disciples increased, and the word continued to go forth. Think about that. See, it's not as dependent on us as we think it is. Man does all of these crazy things in the name of religion, God laughs. And he keeps advancing his kingdom. But I just want to encourage you, church. Let's lean into the Holy Spirit. Let's rely on him. Let's not act in the name of the Holy Spirit unless we know that it's truly activated by the Spirit of God. You're only going to be able to to live life like that if you are in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You're only going to be able to act that way in life if you know the Holy Spirit. Do you know the voice of the Spirit? Do we truly know the voice of the Spirit? Think about it. I could get up here and I could put a a black belt on. I could step into the arena. I could step out on the mat in a karate tournament. And even if I was wearing a black belt, I would probably end up with my mat on the back, my back on the mat. You know why? Because I've never practiced those arts. Some of us are Christians with black belts that haven't practiced the arts. We're masquerading as spiritual people, but we have no spiritual life. We have to plug in to the supply of the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. I'm gonna ask our ushers to come. They're gonna to begin to, to serve the communion to you. We we do have the we've gone back to the regular cups. So things are gonna look different than what they have the last few weeks. Just bear with these guys. And ushers, as you come forward, you can go ahead and begin to serve the people. I want to read two more scriptures. What, what, what is communion? Communion is an act or instance of sharing. These are just definitions. It's, the, the, communion is an act or an instance of sharing. Spiritually, communion speaks Of the union that we have with Christ. In the gospel, there's a glorious union that transpires. Jesus was crucified, we were crucified with him. Jesus was buried. And we were buried with him. Jesus rose. Usher, you can go ahead and serve the people. And we rose with him. It's a glorious union. If you you are a believer, I want you to say this with me I have been crucified with Christ. Say it out loud I have been crucified with Christ. I have been buried with him, and I have risen with him in newness of life. Now the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. This is the union. This is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We are united with Christ. We are going to be with him in his kingdom As Dr. Brassfield reminded us, he has given us the down payment on that promise, the gift of his Holy Spirit. This is communion. This is communion. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, he says this, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship, look at that, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Just hold the elements, and i want to read one, one last passage of Scripture. For, this is Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could, And dude, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if ever there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and I become one with him I have become one with him I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law rather I become righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. What powerful words. Jesus said, as often as you take these, do them in remembrance of what I've done. Dr. Brassfield relayed some very powerful truth to us. I went back and read, I don't have time obviously to get into the scriptures, but I went back and read some scriptures that were dealing with this subject this week. Dr. Brasswell talked about the blood, the blood being spilt, his blood being poured out. And that took care of everything that we've ever done. Our sins are forgiven. But in the death, something greater than Jesus, the life going out of his body, something greater transpired His death took care of everything, not that I've done, but everything that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Paul admonishes us and he says, often as you do these things, remember what Christ has done for you. You take the bread, significant of the broken body of Christ, and partake. Fruit of the vine, significant, the blood of Jesus. Let's stand and sing this as we get ready to dismiss.
1: Your presence is heaven. to me. Your presence is here.
0: prayer for anything i invite you to come down to this altar i want to pray over us as a church father right now in the name of jesus we thank you we thank you for your presence lord go with us as we leave these doors today go with us be with us empower us lord god help us your presence is heaven lord help us to establish your kingdom in this earth lord god help us to be a witness to the gospel Lord, that men's hearts might be converted and your your kingdom can be established in their lives. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for all that you have done for us, Lord God. We bless you today. We honor you. The mighty name of Jesus Christ.